Hello, this is the Global News Podcast from the BBC World Service with reports and analysis from across the world. The latest news seven days a week. BBC World Service podcasts are supported by advertising. Capital One has a fresh take on banking. Now you can open a new savings account in about five minutes and earn five times the national average. Banking with Capital One means five times the savings toward your dream honeymoon or five times the savings toward your family's ultimate vacation, even five times the savings toward just feeling good about saving. It's time to make your savings goals come true. This is Banking Reimagined. What's in your wallet? Capital One and a member FDIC. This is the Global News Podcast from the BBC World Service. I'm Valerie Sanderson, and in the early hours of Thursday, the 9th of April, these are our main stories. Britain records its worst daily death toll as coronavirus infections increase around the world. Experts warn of a deep economic recession. The Democratic Senator Bernie Sanders ends his bid to win his party's presidential nomination. Also in this podcast... One Venezuelan musician's attempt to inform the masses as the country struggles to cope with COVID-19. As well as fears of many deaths from the coronavirus, governments worldwide are now having to face the threat of a mass economic collapse. The World Trade Organization says the global economy could be shrinking by a third. The WTO's Director General, Roberto Azevedo, is urging governments to keep their economies open to global trade. As we confront what may well be the deepest economic recession or downturn of our lifetimes, we should aim to make the most of all potential drivers of sustainable growth to reverse uh, this situation. Governments around the world uh, can and must lay the foundations for a strong and socially inclusive recovery. In its report, the WTO said even in the most optimistic prediction, trade would shrink by 13%. So what does this mean for all of us? I asked our economic correspondent, Andrew Walker. There are some really stark figures that the WTO has put out, as you mentioned in their so-called less pessimistic scenario. There's a contraction of trade of 13%. In their more pessimistic one, it's 32%. Now, it's important to emphasise that doesn't mean a decline in economic activity of that magnitude. That is just about trade in goods. So it's goods that are crossing international borders. Nonetheless, though, a contractions of international commerce of that magnitude would undoubtedly go along with substantial declines in incomes and increase in people without jobs. And we had some figures earlier this week from the International Labour Organization suggesting that in this current three month period, the second quarter of the year, we'd be looking at the equivalent of a loss to a loss of 195 million full time jobs. So these are really very substantial impacts. And the and Mr. Azevedo did say that we're looking at the a period of really significant pain in economic terms for both households and businesses over and above the obvious suffering, human suffering caused by the disease itself. Well, let's look at individual countries. And Europe's biggest economy, Germany, could go into recession this year, according to predictions. Here's Damien McGuinness in Berlin. The coronavirus is pushing Europe's powerhouse into recession. That's according to a new report by Germany's leading economic institutes. 
They say that German GDP may shrink by more than 4% in 2020 and by almost 10% in the second quarter of this year. That would be the sharpest decline ever recorded. But they also predict a fast recovery, saying that the economy should bounce back in 2021 and more than make up for any lost growth this year. Damien McGuinness in Berlin there. And Andrew, that's what's happening in Germany. And France is also seeing its economy shrink by, what, 6% since March? Yes, we had an estimate from the Bank of France based on some surveys of business. This is not the actual formal statement of what the economy was doing from the statistical agency, but it is a pretty striking indication that, yes, um, the governor of the Bank of France was suggesting a 6% decline in um, in the first quarter of this year with a particularly marked impact right at the end, the last couple of weeks or so of March, when the shutdown in France became that much more intense. So France also, France incidentally also actually had a small contraction in its economy at the end of last year. So that does very much suggest that um, the the economy there has gone into recession. No surprises, but it's striking to have those figures. So Andrew, the billion dollar question, how can countries fight back? International agencies have actually given a significant amount of support to the kinds of things, initiatives we've had from, um, from many countries now by way of providing support for incomes, for businesses to ensure that those businesses that are viable get cash support and loan, loans and cash grants to ensure that those that are viable can keep going. From the WTO's perspective, as we're talking about something that have reports that they've been putting out today, they're broadly supportive of those initiatives. But in terms of trade, their big uh, call is for what governments should refrain from doing, and that is putting up new barriers to international trade, which I'm quite sure the WTO fears could make things even worse than they need to be. Andrew Walker. Every day during this crisis, we get the latest death tolls from around the world. Many are rising every day, and here in the UK, there's been a record daily increase of 938 deaths from coronavirus at the time of recording this podcast. More than 7,000 people have died in hospital so far. Our UK political correspondent, Jonathan Blake, has more. The highest number of deaths in a 24-hour period, up above the 900 mark. And a reminder that the seriousness of the coronavirus pandemic here in the UK uh, is still very much present. Uh, The figure has been rising. There has been a a glimmer of positivity in the last day or so from the government's scientific advisers that the number of new cases has not been increasing uh, at such a rapid rate and may actually be slowing. Uh, And that offered uh, some positivity. But really, when you contrast that with the number of death, uh, it is uh, very easy to see that the UK has not reached the peak in terms of cases uh, or in terms of those who've sadly lost their lives. The Chancellor was asked about that at the briefing inside Downing Street earlier today and uh, there has been some talk of the lockdown measures, the restrictions on movement being reviewed in the coming week and the government is legally obliged to do that but I don't think anybody is expecting them at this point to be lifted uh, or indeed eased. The UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is said to be improving after two nights in intensive care with COVID-19. 
Reporter Beth Timmins told me more about what's happening elsewhere in Europe. As you've said, across Britain we've got more than 7,000 people who have lost their lives to the virus so far. And so for some context, that's more than half the number who have died from the virus in the US. Whereas in Italy, there has been a drop, but it does remain at the centre of the crisis in Europe and it has the highest death toll of more than 17,000. After Italy then comes Spain, which has so far lost 14,000 lives. Its death toll rose for the second day in a row, up by 757 now. So Europe does remain very badly hit so far, with the continent accounting for about three in four of the officially recorded deaths worldwide. Are the countries in Europe managing to slow the spread of the infection? Well, this is another interesting point. So the infection curve is flattening in Italy and Spain, which are the two worst-hit countries in Europe. In Italy, the number of those confirmed to have the virus has risen by only about 1% for two consecutive days now. But recently, France, along with Britain, has posted some higher daily numbers of deaths than either Italy or Spain. And the French president, Emmanuel Macron, has come under fire for visiting a badly affected town, which prompted residents to then come out and greet him. And elsewhere, in less badly affected countries in Europe, so we're seeing this in Austria, Switzerland and Denmark, restrictions are actually going to be eased. But the World Health Organization has strongly warned against this because they're saying that the progress that we're seeing is very, very fragile. What about cooperation? Are the countries of the European Union working together to try and control this? So the European Central Bank told Eurozone finance ministers that the area could need fiscal measures worth up to 1.5 trillion euros just this year. And the European finance ministers have been meeting today to try and hammer out a plan. But after 16 hours, they still haven't reached a deal. So they're planning again to meet tomorrow. And the EU is drawing up shared rules for using mobile apps to try and track the spread and aiming to make a better use of the tech and address privacy concerns together. But with over 83,000 lives lost worldwide, it seems in Europe we're still far from life returning to normal. Beth Timmins. The regional director of the World Health Organization for Europe, Hans Kluger, has urged governments to think twice before easing restrictions on freedom of movement. On Monday, Austria became the EU's first member state to make plans for a gradual loosening of its lockdown. Denmark and Norway have followed suit. But Mr Kluger said progress on curbing the spread of the virus is extremely fragile and now is not the time to relax measures. Our Europe editor, Katja Adler, reports. Governments across Europe are under pressure to get their economies up and running again, their populations back to work. But the World Health Organization warns that would be dangerous. It says Europe remains very much at the center of the pandemic, but that Europeans risk being lulled into a false sense of security as we watch the dramatic rise in coronavirus cases in the US and the rate of new infections in Italy and Spain begin to slow. Hans Kluger is the head of the WHO's Europe division. Knowledge of COVID-19 and some positive signs from some countries do not yet represent victory. They offer a rare chance for us to tighten our grip on the virus. Now is not the time to relax measures. Mr Kluger did not directly criticise Denmark or Austria, which are preparing to start lifting some COVID-19 restrictions as early as next week. But he said governments should actually be doing the opposite, doubling and tripling their efforts, he said, to delay, slow and stop the spread of the virus. 
The WHO says restrictions should be lifted only when governments are sure their health services are coping and that they have testing and tracing systems in place to know with confidence where the virus is in order to keep those not yet infected safe. Katja Adler. The U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders has suspended his campaign for the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination. The announcement clears the way for the former Vice President Joe Biden to become the Democratic candidate and challenger to President Trump in November. Gary Donoghue is in Washington. Two months ago, Bernie Sanders appeared to have an unassailable grip on the Democratic nomination. Now he's bowing out, saying there's no feasible way for him to win. It had, he said, been a difficult and painful decision. Thanking his supporters, he said the campaign had transformed the consciousness of the country. He congratulated Joe Biden, but he stressed that his name would remain on the ballot in the states that are yet to hold their primaries. Gary O'Donoghue. We've kept you posted on how people are coping with isolation measures around the world, and musicians in particular have been trying their best to lift spirits for themselves and others. One of them is a seven-year-old child from Greece who composed a song for those feeling alone under lockdown. Merlin Thomas takes up the story. That's the sound of Stefios Karasidis performing his own composition, Isolation Waltz, for a world in lockdown. The seven-year-old had this message for the world. Let's all be a little bit more patient, and soon we'll all be able to go outside and go swimming in the sea. Stelios first performed in public at the age of just three. Since then, the award-winning pianist has played all around the world, from New York's Carnegie Hall to London's very own Albert Hall. In a time of such uncertainty, music is a grounding force that brings us all a little bit closer together. Move over, Mozart. There's a new kid on the block. Still to come in this podcast... Ballerinas brandishing saucepans and kitchen plates as dramatic props. For one Russian ballet company, the show must go on, even during isolation. Now to Yemen, where news has emerged of a potential nationwide ceasefire. The Saudi-led coalition fighting Houthi rebels in the country is expected to announce its ceasing hostilities in a few hours' time. James Menendez spoke to our chief international correspondent, Lise Doucette. This has come uh, out of the blue and uh, not a day too soon in this devastating war uh, unleashed against Yemen five years ago by the Saudi-led coalition. And we've had a statement from the Saudis, uh, the Saudi-led coalition, uh, principally its main power, the Saudi Saudi Arabia, that there will be a two-week unilateral ceasefire. They will stop all of their military operations across Yemen in order, they say, to bring about joint efforts to fight against the spread of the coronavirus and also in response to a new initiative by the UN Special Envoy for Yemen to arrange peace talks. The statement also says that if the conditions are in place, that the ceasefire will be extended. So this marks the most important initiative in a little more than five years for the Saudi-led coalition to try and bring an end to this devastating war in Yemen. Um, Are the Houthi rebels likely to 
respect the ceasefire too. What happened within a very short time after reports first starting emerging that this was going to be announced by Saudi Arabia, there were a flurry of posts on social media by senior Houthi officials not responding to the reports of the Saudi initiative because by then it was not official. There were just reports but talking about how they support the United Nations efforts, how they have expressed in detail uh, their conditions for a political solution to this war to the United Nations Special Envoy Martin Griffiths. So it seemed positive. Of course, uh, it's going to take an awful lot to bring a full and final end to this war. There have been peace talks before, but we do know that over the past more than six months, certainly since September of last year, after the attack on the Saudi the oil installations in Saudi Arabia, it was a wake-up call for Saudi Arabia. And they have, beginning with secret talks between senior Saudi and Houthi officials, have been trying to find a way to get Yemen, this war on their border, off of the table. Least you said. Let's return now to the coronavirus. And as large parts of the world remain under lockdown, some people are trying to break the rules. Tunisia has become the latest country to threaten heavy penalties for those who fail to observe government restrictions. Rana Jawad is in Tunis. In a news conference on Tuesday, the Minister of Interior, Hisham Msheshi, issued a stark warning to those he says are violating quarantine rules after testing positive for COVID-19. Mr. Msheshi says they could be pursued for criminal charges for infecting other people, and if cases in these circumstances lead to deaths, they could also prosecute them for manslaughter. In Singapore, anyone with confirmed or suspected COVID-19 who defies the restrictions put in place may face a fine of $10,000 and up to six months in prison, with higher penalties for repeat offenders. Coronavirus has reached all corners of South America now, but perhaps most worrying of all is the situation in Venezuela, a country gripped by a political crisis and economic instability. The health system there was already in a state of collapse, with some hospitals reliant on generators for electricity. Our South America correspondent Katie Watson has more on how Venezuelans are coping. Venezuelans stay calm, croons the musician as he strums a harp. Isidro Salom would normally be playing what's known as Llanero songs, warbling about the Venezuelan grasslands and unrequited love. But now his lyrics are about washing hands and staying positive. Together, he sings, we'll beat coronavirus. His tunes have been playing repeatedly on Venezuela's state television. Together with the national lockdown, almost as soon as COVID-19 was detected in the country, President Nicolás Maduro has acted fast to contain the virus. In a country whose health system is already on its knees, the arrival of coronavirus is a frightening prospect. For Nicolás Maduro, the virus is a perfect opportunity to take back some control. Not just controlling the message, but the people too, with millions quarantined inside. He has a captive audience as he takes to the airwaves explaining the threat. He's even offered up herbal infusions as remedies. 
not, of course, a proven cure and a suggestion that's been both ridiculed and criticised. As quarantine continues, though, people are struggling to get by. This is a country where, after years of economic and political crisis, people live hand-to-mouth. Every day counts when it comes to earning money. My biggest worry is food. There comes a point when we don't know how long we'll survive with no income. If there's no money coming in, you can't even buy the basics. The economic crisis means shortages have long been a problem in Venezuela. And the virus will only make those supply issues more acute. Dr. Freddy Pachano is president of the National Board of Directors for Postgraduate Medicine. In Venezuela, the situation is really serious because we have about 80 intensive care beds. We should have about 2,500. And add that to the basic services we don't have in hospitals like constant electricity supply. So all of these elements together create a scenario that could see lots of deaths in the country. Every morning, Jose gets up at the crack of dawn to deliver drinking water to houses in the southeast of Caracas. He only works three and a half days a week now because business has slowed. Restaurants and offices have shut up shop. But there's another problem. There's not enough petrol to get around the city. Venezuela's crumbling refineries and US sanctions mean the country with the world's biggest oil reserves is now running out of fuel. It's difficult, says Jose. We don't have enough gloves, and those who do have to pay a premium for them. It's also hard now to move around the city and make sure we all stay safe. The pressure is also coming from outside, with Donald Trump tightening the screws on the Venezuelan government these past few weeks, indicting Mr Maduro for drug offences and suggesting yet another way out through a transitional government. Mr Maduro says he's not going anywhere, but there's no doubt these are difficult times for South America's most troubled economy. That report from Katie Watson in Caracas. Now, as we all worry about our families staying safe and taking precautions during this pandemic, scientists in the UK say there may be one family member we're overlooking, the cat. Experts are advising those with cats to keep their pets indoors during the lockdown. Our science correspondent Victoria Gill explains why. The concern about COVID-19 spreading to and from other animals has built slowly. There were a handful of reports of domestic dogs and a pet cat being infected. And most recently, a tiger at a New York zoo apparently caught the virus from its keeper. But while scientists say there's growing evidence that humans can pass the disease to other animals, particularly cats, there's no evidence that those animals can transmit it to us. The British Veterinary Association stressed that owners should not worry about their pets infecting them. But vets do recommend that we keep our cats indoors wherever possible to avoid the risk of their fur, like any surface, being contaminated by other people's hands. So for now, experts say the stay-at-home order should be extended to the non-human members of our households. Victoria Gill. And we end this podcast in Russia. It's also taking measures to contain the virus, including a shutdown of entertainment venues. But as they say in showbiz, the show must go on. And for dancers of the Mikhailovsky Theatre, that means somehow bringing ballet into the home. Our Moscow correspondent, Steve Rosenberg, has more.
Now, what do you do if you love to ballet dance, but your troupe is in coronavirus lockdown? Well, the stars of the Mikhailovsky Theatre in St. Petersburg have found a creative way to keep performing. To the music from Don Quixote, a Russian ballerina prances around her kitchen, tapping cutlery on the work surfaces as she goes. Then, with an artistic flourish, she takes out of her fridge a pot of Russian dumplings. Bravo! Next up, in this domestic dancing video, another ballerina glides through her kitchen, fanning herself gracefully, not with a fan, but with a plate she's just washed up. This unusual performance, posted online, has gone viral in Russia. Principal dancer Ivan Vasilyev came up with the idea. The performers and the viewers have been loving this, Ivan tells me. And that was the whole point, to cheer people up at this difficult time. You must stay positive. You must try to keep smiling. A good mood and a sense of humour will save the world. Ah, the emotion of it all. To music from the ballet Giselle. In the living room, Ivan lifts up his ballerina wife, Maria, who's holding a saucepan. Yes, the dumplings are ready. The Mikhailovsky ballet dancers are promising more uplifting performances online to raise the spirits of the Russian nation. And what a note to end on. And that's it from us for now, but there'll be an updated version of the Global News podcast later. If you want to comment on this podcast, of the topics covered in it, you can send us an email. The address is globalpodcast at bbc.co.uk. I'm Valerie Sanderson. Until next time, bye-bye.